John likes tech and lives in Indiana, you know. Kevin likes the Dodgers and talks on the radio. John plays games on Xbox and on his Nintendo. While Kevin runs around LA with his mustachio, it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. In your ear holes at last. They don't know they're Mars and Venus, that's why it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. Hey, Kevin. Hey, John, you got the hay in first. I, I did. I always like when I can start an episode by saying we just made Lack of Genius history. We have a guest who I'll introduce in a moment. Yeah. It's the first time a guest has lip-synced and charaded along to the song. <laughs> <laughs> when Kevin had a mustachio, his fingers went up by his lips, and he did the mustachio, and he was singing along like a... You, you looked like a, a marionette puppet is what you looked like. I got Ben Magnet here. Hi, Ben. <laughs> How's it going, guys? I bring you on a podcast, and I compare you to a puppet. How about that? That's, that, that's how you welcome a guest. I mean, I got Ben compared to worse things, so I'll take a puppet for I'll take a puppet. <laughs> very nice. Very nice. Ben Magnet is not only um, the coolest named person you'll meet today. Are, are you trying to say, Kevin, you find him attractive? He's, yeah, he's, he's definitely pulling me in. Yeah. <laughs> Appreciate that. That was John's joke from last week, and he just dropped a second magnet joke. We're going to see how many magnet jokes he can he can squeeze in. But um, it's very polarizing. Yeah. <laughs> It's really like a little counter or like a little ding every time John makes a magnet joke. A little magnet. Ben is a retro video game expert is what I'm going to refer to you as. I don't know if you're self-proclaimed, but I'm now proclaiming you a retro video game expert so you can put it on your resume forever. I should have like a one sheet on you. I'll let you sort of take the reins, but I know you have at least a podcast and you write for several publications, if I'm not mistaken, or I just made that up and just gave you credit you don't deserve. Oh, no, you're right. It's just last week. I That's actually now true where I now do officially write for... Uh, like about three video game centric publications. Awesome, man. That's cool. That's great. What, and what is what does that entail? What kind of stuff yeah. are you writing? Um, so Old School Gamer Magazine is I write for the website as well as I'm going to get published in the magazine. That's dealing with like old school video games, retro video games. Go Nintendo. The website hasn't launched yet, but that's going to be more uh, Nintendo centric news and features and reviews. And also, I was just recently, <laughs> this one was out of the blue, I was asked to write for Fusion Gaming Magazine, which is a publication all the way out in England. Oh, so, hey. Yeah, nice. that, was, that, that was a really fun uh, DM to wake up to that that w- one morning. So, yeah, I now officially write for them. And not just one podcast, two podcasts. Two, I thought I thought it might be two. You, what, what, are they, what are they called again? So the main one I'm a part of is the Fake Nerd Podcast. I've been doing that show for about five years with my friends. That's a basic nerd show where we review films, we review, t- we talk about TV, comic books, some video game stuff here and there, but the more video game centric podcast is called Basement Arcade Pause Menu. Essentially, we hit pause, sit back and just chill and talk about video games for about an hour and a half. Oh, that's cool. such a brilliant concept. You're like, you're playing your game and you hit pause and then you talk, oh my gosh, Ben Magnet, <laughs> you're, you're brilliant. That's so cool, man. And um, yeah, I, I kind of, I said it in the pre-show, but even just in our conversations before I even heard your resume, I was like, we got the right person for retro video <laughs> games for sure. <laughs> I appreciate you calling me an expert. I would refer to myself as a amateur video game historian because there are other, um, I don't know if you go to YouTube, there's like, like the actual video game mm-hmm. historian, Norm Caruso, who has made some amazing videos, amazing documentaries about so many things about video games. It's like, he's someone I definitely aspire to be, but I just love learning about the history of video games and just, and of course, playing the video games, playing the older retro stuff that I 
because I grew up in the 90s. I grew up in one of the mm-hmm. golden ages of video games, but my exposure and my ability to play some of them was very limited. So now it's now that I'm older and I have air quotes adult money. Yeah, you don't need to ask your parents to buy you a video game console. You can buy it yourself because you're I a big boy. Could, I could, but then, of course, I want to buy the PS5 and my bank account says, <laughs> no. Yeah, good luck with that. Mm-hmm. So here's a quick question for you being a, being a historian. And if this is in the quiz, forgive me, but what sort of um, era are we covering today in our quiz? Would you, like, What do you define retro video game era as? So this is a great question. So I define retro video games as I want to, I, I prefer to it as like two generations past. That's that to me. Once a, what like say we're on the PS5 now the PS3 and of course the, a lot of the internet has officially claimed that the PS3, the Xbox 360, the Nintendo Wii that is now officially retro. Now that once again wow. retro retro video games I mean, even though it's not technically what retro means like if you look up the word retro in the dictionary it's right. a totally different definition. Oh. But um, like retro is for it's all subjective. It's a very subjective thing. Like even myself, I um, split up retro into three different ages or four different ages now. The primordial age, which is the Atari and um, the, the the very early, like the Atari, the Amigas, the ColecoVisions, and then you have the first age of retro with the Nintendo Entertainment System going through up to the second age, which is where the pixels went to polygons, like the original PlayStation and the Nintendo sixty four and stuff like that. Yep. So, so but for us, we're gonna be talking about stuff from the eighties up to the late 90s okay that sounds good which i think is very much in our wheelhouse uh you know i'm not i was never a gamer i grew Mm -hmm. but when you grow up in the 90s like it sounds like we all did you're you're right video games were everywhere that whatever name the console like we were we were we all had it or we all knew about it or the friend down Mm -hmm. the street had it so i have this sort of peripheral knowledge if you will (laughs) that i'm very curious to see how I may totally bomb this quiz and that's okay if I do, <laughs> or maybe I'll know something. I don't know. And I know John, John, you're much more of a gamer than I am. I don't mean to set you up as like, but like. I am and I'm not. Uh-huh. So, I mean, it, it just depends. You know, I didn't have a game system at my parents' house until the original Xbox because okay. they were always afraid I would play video games all the time. And were they um, right? <laughs> no. Well, and that's the thing. Like I'll go in binges, like I'll get a new game, I'll play it and then I'll just stop playing it most consoles for a period of time and then a new game comes out i want to play it and so uh, yes and no (laughs) okay yeah got it got it well i'm excited to see it sounds like we got three sort of different uh takes on video games let's uh let's tidy some things up first though okay tidy up before we go go any further with the show show tidy up before we go go fix our mistakes tonight I want to get it right. Yeah, yeah. Tidy up. <laughs> we found out Ben was in choir when he was a, when he was a youngin in high school. So I, maybe we'll have to have a remix version of that where he's hitting those high notes instead of me. <laughs> oh, no, not. Dude, I was in bass while I was in choir. No, because you do the tidy up. <laughs> yeah, I, I was like, I was like, tidy up. I was, I was going, the, I was doing the low notes. I mean, I think the highest I can go was like maybe baritone. 
Maybe, okay. but I don't know. I'm right there with you, Ben. We could start a little choir right here, at least a, a, a baritone <laughs> bass choir. <laughs> okay, I, I was listening to your, the first episode I listened to yours was a sea, shan sea shanty. So it's like, there once was a ship that put to sea, <laughs> name of the ship was the Billiotty. Okay, I'll stop. <laughs> that, yeah, we got Ben Magnet to sing. I think that is the first time we've had a guest sing. You're checking off all the, the lack yeah. of genius history boxes for us. <laughs> I know we have, I think, maybe two quick tidy-ups to get to. John, you had you had one in mind. Yeah. Uh, just wanted to apologize to everyone that normally, you know, goes to listen to the podcast at like 8 a.m. Eastern, and it wasn't there yesterday. I'm a little bit sleep-deprived this week, only mainly because, you know, we had our, our son this week, so we've got a, a new logger. Uh, yeah, congratulations, John. Congratulations. And so happy so for you guys. I accidentally told it to do it at 8 p.m. instead of 8 a.m., uh -huh. But it got fixed, so it went out still, just not as early as normal. So we'll we'll, we'll let you slide, John. We're let, on behalf of all the loggers, we'll let you slide. Um, <laughs> my tidy up had to do with last week. So I, I mentioned to Ben uh, Mexican pizza. We did talk about the Mexican pizza, and there are rumors that it's yeah. coming back, and we want it to come back, and I hope it does. And that's not. I'm not even tidying that up. What the reference that I that I made was, I believe twice. And I do this a lot. I catch myself when I'm editing. I get so caught up in what I'm saying that I get one word in the sentence wrong. And I don't even realize it in the moment. And in this instance, I was referring to Mexican people and I said Mexican pizza. <laughs> so I know I did it at least once. And by the way, Ben, I if you didn't you didn't listen to last week's episode, I am half Mexican, so I have a half Mexican card. So it doesn't feel as bad when I accidentally refer to my own people as Mexican pizza. I'm it's like I, I'm allowed to do that, but I do apologize <laughs> on behalf of my people. <laughs> I mean, as horrible as it sounds, Kevin, if anyone's a Mexican pizza, it's you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'm the half. I, the, I am the Mexican. I. That is fantastic. I basically am Taco Bell. I'm white and I'm Mexican. <laughs> it's time to take a quiz or two. Like a genius podcast doing this for you. You may fail, but it ain't no lie. Baby, it's quiz time. Don't really want this quiz to be tough. I just want to pass one because I failed enough. It might sound crazy, but it ain't no lie. Baby, it's quiz time. Yes. Man, Appreciate your enthusiasm, Ben Magnet. Literally the first thing mm -hmm. he said when, when he, we got on this call was, oh, I love the jingles, and he's been singing along to everyone. That makes me well, feel also, good. And, uh, they've also been stuck in my head for the past few, for the past week and a half, so it's a blessing and a curse. Yes, um. I was going to say, so I'm sorry also. is, is, is that I, This is, by the way, our, our remix version sung by our youngest logger, Felix. It's <laughs> Any chance I can get to play that, I will. That's adorable. He's 24 years old, by the way. Oh. Uh, okay, so we got a quiz that Ben Magnet has prepared for us about retro mm -hmm. video games. Yes. Um, this quiz is uh, is up on lackofgenius.com, so if you want to play along or take it first and see how you do and then listen to the answers, uh, feel free. But Ben, man, uh, unless you have anything to preface us with, let's take it away and jump into number one. 
So essentially, I well, once again, as I said in the pre-show, this was very hard to do because um, <laughs> there's like there's so much of video game history and there's like so many different questions. Like I could be mm-hmm. super specific. So I tried to go with like major events in retro video games. And then, I mean, if you guys want to have me on in the future, I'm just saying or just going out there. We can <laughs> yes. definitely do this again where I can go either a lot more detailed in with like, say, a certain character or a certain video game franchise, or even just a certain, there's just, once again, there's like subsections of subsections of subsections of this topic. So there's like so much. And I, once again, I said I'm an amateur video game historian. I've only barely scratched the tip of the iceberg when it comes to this. Yeah, we and we do, we did discuss wanting to have you on again already. So yeah, that's, yeah. uh, yeah. All right, so question number one, and also it's not in in a chronological order, so we're gonna be jumping back and forth through errors. So just keep that that in your head a little bit. So question number one, What movie studio sued Nintendo over Donkey Kong? Is it A, Walt Disney Studios, B, Universal Studios, or C, Warner Brothers? Super interesting. I'm one, John, do you know this off the bat by like, because I'm assuming this, you know, obviously pertains to some kind of event. There's some kind of thing that that happened. I don't know it, so I'd have to think through it. Do you, do you, does this ring any bells to you? I'm, I'm guessing C, uh, Warner Brothers, mainly because of, they own the rights for King Kong. Oh, interesting. Gosh, Ooh. John, I should have made my choice first because now I want to choose that based on that. <laughs> I, You know, it's early. I'm going to choose what you just chose because of what you just said, John. <laughs> so we're both choosing Mar- Warner Brothers. Well, you are both wrong. The answer is Universal Studios. So, John, you're right. While Warner Brothers does technically have the rights to use King Kong, they only use the word Kong in their films, such as in Kong Skull Island and Godzilla vs. Kong. Universal Studios proper still has the naming rights to King Kong. And way back in 1981, when Donkey Kong was hitting the arcades, Universal sued Nintendo because they thought this was going to get people confused with King Kong. And Nintendo hired a lawyer... Jack Kirby, who never played a video game in his life, and he actually brought in a Donkey Kong arcade cabinet into the courtroom, and Nintendo won the case. What did he bring in? A Donkey Kong what? Arcade cabinet. He brought in an actual life-size uh, arcade, arcade cabinet to, <laughs> no help way. His ar- yeah, to help his argument that Nintendo wasn't infringing on any copyright, and people knew the difference between Donkey Kong and King Kong. And out of that, two other great fun facts. First one being that Nintendo was so grateful to John Kirby that, you know, the little pink puffball of the Kirby? He was after him. Named after him. <laughs> that I was going to say that as a joke. That is so cool. Nope, that's 100% real. He confirmed it in the documentary High Score on Netflix. And yeah, they Kirby was named after uh, Laura John Kirby, who sadly passed away in 2019. Um, um, and not only that, even so... Of course, Nintendo has sued a lot of people and they've gotten sued a few times. But with Universal suing Nintendo, now they have a partnership because um, Super Nintendo World is now being a part of Universal theme parks all around the world. Hmm. Japan opened. So they got Nintendo got sued by Universal. And not only are they making uh, lands in their theme parks, but also their um, Illumination Animation Studios, which is, of course, owned by Universal, is making the Super Mario Bros. movie starring Chris Pratt, Charlie Day, Jack Black. <laughs> no way. Are they going to be Mario and Luigi? Chris Pratt is Mario. Charlie Day is Luigi. Anya Taylor-Joy is going to be Peach. And Jack Black is playing Bowser. Oh, my gosh. I had not heard. That is such good casting. Oh, my goodness. 
I hope they make Bowser look like Jack Black, though. Well, it's, it's animated, so it's all voice acting. So, yeah. Okay. Oh, gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. So, yeah, well, I am anxiously waiting for, because the one in Japan opened up, of course, because that was going to be like... Super Nintendo World, you said, right? Yeah, Super Nintendo World opened so up in Japan, and I've been watching constant YouTube videos about it, and the FOMO <laughs> is real. But yeah. the good news is, is that for us living here in California, our Super Nintendo land or world, I keep forgetting what's called, uh-huh. is going to get opened up first. And then Orlando is going to get there. So the one time where we get something first before Orlando <laughs> is Nintendo. And that makes me stupid happy. And I'm just like, hurry up. Gotcha. Well, I'm I'm officially giddy. So thank you for that. <laughs> <laughs> I've been me for so long. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, well, good, good, great first question. Way to get us rolling. We both missed that. Mm-hmm. We're 0 for 1. Uh, yeah. and, unless you had anything else, are you ready for number two? No, but I'm ready for number two. Now, this one's probably going to be an easy one. What company is best known for the following cheap code? Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, be a start. <laughs> the choices are Sega, Capcom, or Konami. Do you know it, John? Don't say it if you do, because I, I don't think I know it. Yeah, and I and I think he's actually missing something in the code. Doesn't it go B A select start? Nope. It's up, oh, up select down, start. Down. Nope, it's not so no select. No? It's oh. only up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B A start. Okay. So I so still you, think I know the answer. You know it. I I actually don't think I know it. Uh Sega, Capcom, or Konami. Konami. Yeah, I'm going to choose first because then I won't cheat and choose the answer <laughs> that I think that John for some reason to me, Konami is is jumping out. So I'm going to choose that. All right, Kevin has Konami. What do you have, John? Uh, that's what I was going to go with, too. Well, you are both right. Ooh, go ahead. It is the famous <laughs> Konami code. Up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right. It is one of the most famous video game cheat codes of all time. It, be, it became famous with the game Contra because it was also known as the Contra code because in if you enter that code at the start screen at Contra, not Super Contra, just regular Contra, you got 30 lives, which... As some people might know, Contra is an extremely difficult game. It is one of the hardest uh, platform is one of the hardest action platformers around, and it is stupid hard. But <laughs> of course, you enter that code, you get thirty lives. It was originally created by Kazuhisha. I'm totally gonna butcher this name. I'm sorry, <laughs> Kazuhisha Hash- Hashimoto, who unfortunately passed away, and he was developing a home port of the 1985 arcade game Gradius. And he found it a little too hard, so he created the code, and then all of a sudden, it just became a famous uh, a famous cheat code, which has not only been referenced in Konami games, but also in pop culture as a whole. I don't know if you guys saw the Disney film Record Ralph, but when um, mm-hmm. Candy is going to a secret vault, he enters the code in an NES controller, and it opens the door. That's so super cool. Yes, it's the most famous cheat code in video game history. That's great, man. That was, I, that's a great question. So, so we both got it right, which is good for us. So we're yep. both one for two. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, we're moving right along. All right. Now we're getting into something that's a little more obscure. So I hope you're, yes. you guys are ready. Got our obscure hats on. Where was Tom Kalinske, who eventually becomes the CEO of Sega of America in the early 90s, where was he when Hayao Nakayama, who was the CEO of Sega of Japan, approached him to become CEO of Sega of America. (laughs) Was Tom at a family dinner in Seattle? Was he on vacation in Hawaii? Or was he at a 49ers versus the Raiders football game? I love this question, my friend. This is the obscure (laughs) weirdness I like. Because there's, for me, there's no way I can know this. I mean, I'm sure if I knew a little history about these these people, like if, if, if I knew that Tom Kalinske was from the Bay area and was watching, uh, maybe at the time it was probably San Francisco versus Oakland Raider game, then I don't know. I, I, that would be the logic I'd use, but I don't know anything about him. So, uh, what jumps out to you, John? 
Uh, I'm trying to remember where Sega is located in the U.S., whether it's in the Seattle area or Bay Area. Yeah, gotcha. Be because if he's on vacation in Seattle and Hayu Nakayama is already there, then it's... It's so fun watching you guys trying to deliberate this. I know, I know. And, <laughs> you know, it's funny because right now I'll admit that I'm leaning towards the 49ers Raiders game and maybe it's just because I'm a sports fan. But I also will say with a little bit of inside knowledge from our pre-show that I found out that Ben Magnet, you're a Raiders fan. So maybe you just threw that question in <laughs> as a way to get your Raiders in this quiz. Yeah, I, yeah it's super. Yeah, and none of us have mentioned on vacation in Hawaii, which would be maybe is the dark horse right now. Before you even said it, I was thinking of just going with the vacation in Hawaii. Uh-huh. So I think I'm just going to stick with that. Okay. Well, I'm I'm between the family dinner in Seattle and the Niners Raiders game and I it, I feel like I mean, look, it could be Hawaii and none of this will matter, but if it is between these two, I feel like I, this is the moment that I hate because I just use the logic of why it wouldn't be the Niners Raiders game. And so if I choose it, I'll feel like an idiot. But if I don't choose it and it is it, I'm going to feel I'm going to say family dinner in Seattle. That's what I'm choosing. I'm locking it in. <laughs> oh, man, I am so drunk with power right now. This is great. <laughs> so one of you got it right. Unfortunately, the other got it wrong. The one who got it right is... John, John, John. Hey. This is, let me play this for me. So it was not the family dinner <laughs> or the Niners Raider game. It was nope. Hawaii. <laughs> it was Hawaii. So it's a story that is is hilarious. So, yes, Tom Kalinske, who was formerly one of the head advertising, he was, he was head of marketing over at Mattel. He was one of the reasons why Barbie gained a big resurgence in the 80s. He was on vacation. He left Mattel. He also he was working for Matchbox at the time, but he was thinking about leaving that company as well. He was on vacation in Hawaii with his wife and two daughters when out of nowhere, Hayao Nakayama finds him. He goes all the way from Japan to Hawaii to specifically <laughs> find Tom Kalinske and convince him to travel with him back to Japan to go to look at what would eventually become the Sega Genesis here in America, the Sega Mega Drive and the rest of the world. Wow. Now, Tom was literally on the beach chilling with his family. <laughs> and here comes Mr. Ya uh, Nakayama-san asking Tom to come with them. And he's just looking at it. And his daughters were were the ones who convinced him, saying, Daddy, this guy, this man came all the way from Japan to see you. And yeah. there's a line in the book, Console War, by Blake J. Harris, where his wife kind of makes a little remark saying, you hate Hawaii anyway. So <laughs> Tom agrees. You don't so, be uh, Mr. Kalinsky agrees. He hops on a plane, goes to Japan, falls in love with the Sega Genesis, and becomes CEO and president of Sega of America. And is one of the key figures in starting the console war between Sega and Nintendo in the 90s. I mean, already Sega was trying <laughs> to throw pot shots at Nintendo with their famous Genesis does what Nintendo advertisement oh. campaign. <laughs> I don't, so, I don't remember that. That's great. That's super clever. Yeah, but that wasn't him. So he later goes on to, his whole thing was like he made Sonic the Hedgehog the pack-in title for the Sega Genesis. Because at the time- Which, by the was, way, you're, you're rocking a Sonic the Hedgehog shirt today, I noticed. Yeah. 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 Uh -huh. I mean, he's my favorite. That's awesome. So yeah, it was Tom Kalinske and the, the team at Sega of America who essentially created this giant beast and, this giant, and something that was able to go toe-toe with Nintendo. Now, of course, their downfall, sadly, wasn't Nintendo. I mean, Nintendo fought hard because they had the Super Nintendo came out in 1991 here in America, Super Mario World, some amazing titles like Super Metroid and eventually Star Fox. But Sega, Sega's problem, and this, and this problem continued even long after Tom left. Sorry, I'm going to professor mode here. No, <laughs> I love it. 
was that they were trying to innovate too quickly. Like with the, I don't know, uh, John, you might remember, or Kevin, you might remember as well, um, the Sega CD, the Sega 32X. Mm-hmm. And then when the Sega, the Sega Saturn dropped in North America the same day it was announced. And then they said, oh yeah, we also have the 32X. There was just constant add-ons, constant things of trying to up the Sega mm-hmm. hardware oh. to make it more powerful than it was. Whereas Nintendo was just focusing on software. And at that time, Donkey Kong was coming out. They were doing so many amazing things with their cartridges with no peripherals at all. And then just eventually Nintendo won out in the end and Sega declined constantly start decline with their consoles and then it just and then sony entered the picture and that's to that's like a completely different story right there how sony sure. became into gotten into video games it is is that period of video game history is my favorite era to study because it is just absolutely nuts it's like a, it's like a i mean everybody's trying to be the best everyone oh, yeah. and, and you just mentioned sega end up essentially shooting themselves in the foot by trying mm-hmm. to do too much. Well, also, and also Sega of America and Sega of Japan were constantly fighting against each other because here in America, Sega was doing so much better than Sega of Japan. And Sega of Japan was mad because they were the ones who were like, Hey, we're doing the game. We're making these great games. We're doing, we're doing all these good things, but how come America is taking all the credit? So it was also like a, a little Sega civil war. Whereas in the, for Nintendo, they're like they were harmonious. They worked harmoniously yes. with each other. They knew what was going on. Yeah. They worked super well together. God, what a world we lived in and live in. <laughs> uh, John, you just took the lead on me, right? You just yeah, you, you're, I did. You're two for three. I'm one for three. Which I gotta say, I'm very impressed with both of us. <laughs> we're we're, <laughs> we're representing decently. But uh, yeah, shall we shall we move on and uh, see see what question four brings us? Question number four. What now? This is going way back in the beginning, so be ready, gentlemen. Ooh. What was the first ever video game console to use cartridges? Wow, was it the Fairchild Channel F, the Intellivision, or the Magnavox Odyssey 2? And just but if any one of you was thinking Atari, the answer is not Atari, yeah. Well, <laughs> I'm I, I, I can't say I was thinking Atari, but what I do notice is that I have not heard of any of these three choices. Have you, John? I'm, I'm guessing you've heard of something. I, I've heard of the last two. I know uh-huh. of Fairchild, the company. Okay, got I it. I told you that they made a system. Um, I know Fairchild is kind of the first company out in the Silicon Valley, before it was Silicon Valley, that started making transistors. And then people from Fairchild left and created Intel. But I couldn't have told you that they made a game console, but it's not surprising. Like everyone was making game consoles at that time just because it was the brand new thing. This question alone, without even getting the answer, has already blown my mind because I didn't even know there were other consoles before Atari, (laughs) essentially, you know, and I I guess I should have. But Atari was obviously, I'm guessing, the most commercially successful it was. Um, yeah. We'll get there to, eventually. To, don't worry. <laughs> yeah, which is which is, makes sense to why that would be on my radar. And none of these other ones would. So for me, it's it's totally going to be a guess. Do you have any logic that you're trying to use, John? To well, I mean, I know Magnavox was a TV company. I the name I think is still around, mm-hmm. but it's probably just a brand that another company owns. The fact that he put Fairchild on here makes mm-hmm. me want to just go ahead and choose Fairchild, just because it's obscure enough that. Maybe that's the one. So, yeah, and this is tough for me because because I'm guessing it's kind of strategy for me at this point, being one behind you. It's like, okay, do I choose the same one to cut, try to keep pace, or do I choose something different? I'm gonna go the second route. I'm gonna choose Magnavox. I'm gonna choose the Magnavox Odyssey too. 
So, John, you're picking the Fairchild and Kevin's yep. the Magnavox? Yeah. Yep. Well, once again, one of you got it right and the other got it wrong. <laughs> Come on, Kevin. Come on, Kevin. Sorry, Kevin. It's John. John got it right. Oh, that's for me. <laughs> that's for John. It's not looking good for our hero. So Nice, John. Yes. Yeah, so, the Fairchild Channel F, which came out, according to uh, the game console, by um, Evan Amos came out in 1976 and it was truly the very first um, console to use video game cartridges and video game cartridges were created by a gentleman by the name of Jerry Lawson. He was essentially the father of video game cartridges. He worked at Fairchild. He was tinkering in his garage. And also it should be noted that he's an African-American gentleman. So essentially one of the most iconic pieces of video game um, or essentially the thing that made video games, video games up until like the late nineties, came from an African-American and unfortunately his story wasn't told until much later. So wow. he wow. wasn't celebrated. So the Fairchild Channel F came out with like 26 games and it was a commercial failure because the company Fairchild didn't understand how the video game market worked, unlike Atari or even Magnavox. So of course um, the cartridge idea wasn't patented. It, was, it wasn't like a, Oh, they're stealing our idea because it's like, it's kind of like, Oh, that makes sense. And they, if, as long as you make cartridges to work with your machine, you do, you're not stealing anything, essentially. Now, I could be, that's my understanding of how Atari was able to use their cartridges, because the second the Fairchild came out, Atari saw that and go, hey, that's a good idea. And then they started using cartridges with the Atari 2600, which, of course, became one of the most, the most well-known video game consoles of all time. Yeah, I mean, technically, as long as they didn't look at the internals to the cartridge, they can't no. claim anything so but um jerry lawson's story um mostly has been coming to light uh in recent years his family he unfortunately passed away some time ago his family was featured on the first episode of high score because they talked about the Fairchild, and even his son said not a lot of people know about the Fairchild because it is a console from an era that atari dominated i'm just glad that now at least with jerry lawson he's getting the recognition he deserves because where would yeah. Nintendo be without game cartridges? Where would Sega be without right. game cartridges? And hell, even Atari. Atari yeah, wouldn't man. be anywhere without game cartridges. Yeah, wow. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. um, well, in terms of our episode here, John, we, we have one more question, I believe. John has already won because you're three for four, which is actually very impressive. And I'm one for four, so there's no way I can win, which is fine, but I'm still going to be very ultra-competitive. This question and hopefully take you down and get my own little victory. Well, I mean, you got a 50 50 chance, it looks like. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you, all right. Yeah, Let's yeah. do it. Oh, we got a true or false, right? Yeah, the last one is a true or false question. So, once again, going back to the very early 80s here, true or false, gentlemen, ET the video game is the sole reason the American video game market crashed in 1983. I don't know if it's the sole reason, but I know that that game in general. It got buried in a dump in Nevada somewhere, supposedly. Yeah, there was a there's a documentary on it. And I don't mean to steal your yeah. thunder because you're you I, probably I, gonna I, get into this, Ben. But I remember watching that, and they searched. They went searching for them, and I don't even, I don't want to ruin the ending because I don't even remember it. But maybe Ben Ben will talk more <laughs> about that. Yeah, I remember that is that is what I think of when I think of ET the video game. Right. It was such an epic failure, and it's so funny looking at the little graphics of the ET guy. And I forget why it was a failure. I, if I recall, it was like a, a really hard game to play. On top of like the adventure wasn't very fun, and just it just right. colossal failure. Watch, he's going to pull out a copy of it or something. <laughs> His framed copy that says "best yeah. video game ever." <laughs> You're not wrong. 
There it is. <laughs> oh my God. Elliot and ET are on there. He went to the dumpster. He went to the, he went to the dump and found it. <laughs> Dude, I got a bunch of, I got a few Atari 2600 cartridges. I just bought for preservation purposes, but anyway, yeah. so yeah, the statement is true or false. ET, this game is the uh-huh. sole reason the American video game industry crashed in 1983. True or false gentlemen. I'm going to go with true. Yeah, it's it's hard for me because this is where I read too much into questions and I I see sole reason and I'm like, well, there had to be other factors. Was it the main contributor? Probably, but is it the sole reason? Uh just to just to try to gain ground on you, you you said you said uh what did you say, John? I said true. True, I thought so. So I'm going to choose false. I'm going to say no and and that with my logic that goes with my answer. So I'm going to say false. One of us will be right, one of us will be wrong. Well, you're true actually right. Yeah, one of you is right and one of you is wrong, but this time it's the reverse. Kevin is right and John hey. is wrong. I'm just going to I'm just going to keep playing these for me because I, <laughs> I need to feel good about myself here. All right, and there's one for you, John. Okay. So E.T. the video game. Yes, it is a controversial game. Yes, it is a lot of people on the internet like to give it flack, but no, it is not the sole reason the market crashed in 1983. Now, fun fact, I actually got to talk to the man who created the video game, Howard Scott Warshaw, on my podcast. He also recently wrote a book about like how he made history by crashing, by destroying an industry, but it wasn't solely his fault. The man was asked to make a game in five weeks. And yes, even in primordial game standards, his last, his previous game, Raised the Lost Ark, which I actually have right here. Nice. That's so cool. <laughs> By the you, way, there's posters behind Ben that are video game related. He showed us a, a, a series of books beforehand, and he's got the gold cartridge box set or whatever of, of Zelda. So have, the, the dude the dude is legit, just to, just to verify. I have, the, I have the Zelda encyclopedia. That's the gold cartridge. I even have a Hallmark That's ornament it. for uh, Super Nintendo that plays the Mario or Super Mario theme. But anyways, yeah. back to E.T. It wasn't the sole reason, because back then, in the what I call the primordial age of video games, Atari was on a high. So many other companies were taking, were just raking in the money. And by this time, Atari mm-hmm. was owned by Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers executives want just all they cared about was the bottom line. So even though Howard Scott Warshaw, in a Herculean effort, made ET in five weeks to make a Christmas release, mm-hmm. he was able to make the game that he was able to make. And it was a slew of other companies besides Atari were just constantly cranking out video games not caring about what the quality was. There is too many consoles. There are too many crappy games. Parents were constantly trying to get refunds. Stores didn't want to take any new product. So the whole, so yes, their Atari did put ET in a landfill in New Mexico, but it wasn't just ET. It was a bunch of unsold video game cartridges that had nowhere to go. So instead of like taking the games or taking the cartridges, recycling them, they decided to say, F it, dump it. So yes, there were some ET cartridges in the de- in the Alamogordo Desert in New Mexico where the landfill was, and there was a documentary about that. But when you actually look at what happened and read into what was going on, it wasn't just ET. It was so many other. It was ColecoVision and Television. All these other. Mm. It was Atari themselves. Mm-hmm. The entire industry caved in on itself because executives got too greedy and were just like, just put out money, just put it out. It wasn't mm-hmm. until 1985 when Nintendo came over with the NES that people started to look at video games a different way. Of course, Nintendo had super strict rules on what would, I mean, yes, the NES does have bad games. That's, that's good. That's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But they also had strict rules to try and make sure there wasn't going to be a crash here in America. 
And, you know, like, look, you know, the reason we take history class in high school, we learn about history. So we learn from our mistakes. And so in the grand scheme of history of retro video games, this was a great lesson of, of mm -hmm. let's, let's not get greedy as execs. Not, let's not try to, you know, make a game reach market. We got to plan way ahead of time and not force mm -hmm. someone to spend five weeks to make a crappy game, you know? Well, yeah. but here's the thing. You're still getting that. It may not be oh, on really? the five week time. Yeah. I mean... Mm -hmm. Activision Blizzard, they've had huge issues over the last few years, so much so in that a lot of people want the CEO to resign, which mm -hmm. sounds like will happen next year once Microsoft takes control of them. Mm -hmm. But growing up, being a, a video game programmer was something I wanted to do. And so, you know, I went and got a computer science degree and I loved playing World of Warcraft. And I wanted to work at Blizzard. And then I read about how it's not exactly the best thing to do as a career. You know, you get paid a really good salary, but the amount of work you do, it's not a fair compensation. And it's, you know, 80, 100 hour weeks right before launch. And it's just not worth it. Oh, yeah, wow. definitely. Because as much as I love this industry and I still love it with all my heart and soul, mm -hmm. there are massive glaring problems with it that need mm. to be addressed and they need to be fixed. Both on the, the programming side as well as the fan side. Yeah, I mean, exactly. Wow. Well, I mean, we had ga Gamergate, you know, five, wow. 10 years ago now. What is that? Is there is there a sort of brief that way to was, summarize that? If memory serves, there was a, a couple female journalists, gamer journalists that started getting attacked by the fan, male fan base and basically said, you shouldn't be doing this, you're a girl. Whoa! Like doxing and threats and and stuff like that. Yeah, essentially, it's a bunch of people saying that oh, because you're women, you you shouldn't play. Baby. And, and, and here's a fact you might not know, Kevin and Ben. I don't know if you know this. Really, up until like the '70s, most programmers for computers were women. Mm -hmm. Really? That's Why true. is yeah. that? Uh, women did the programming and m the men were doing the hardware stuff. Like uh, that's just kind of how it broke down with the engineering and everything. I think it stems kind of from the world wars. This, ben, this is where my knowledge comes in, I guess. Um, <laughs> the very first computer ever was made by a guy named Charles Babbage. And this was in the 1800s. And it used steam and, and everything and it could do calculations. And in fact, the first programmer for that machine, the person that made it work, was a woman by the name of Ada Lovelace. You know, it, it kind of just carried into that. Like one of the big programming languages, COBOL, was developed by a female Navy admiral, Grace Hopper, which I think MIT just renamed one of their buildings. They took off some old racist white guy's name and put her name on the building. Yeah, um, yeah I mean, women have been a big part of the industry up until, you know, the 70s, 80s. And then it just kind of became a guys only club. And it's slowly starting to go back to where it might be more of an equal thing, but it's not close yet. So, John, did you just drop all that on us from inside your brain? It's possible. When when there's knowledge that you drop, what do we call that? I don't know. What what, what do you call it, Kevin? I'll tell you what we call it. John Knowledge Bomb. <laughs> That's the first time I've gotten to play that. You That's just, true. You just dropped a John Knowledge Bomb on us, my friend. That was mighty <laughs> impressive. I was watching you the whole time like, oh, my God, that's all in his head. Look at him go. Yeah, that was that was mighty impressive, John. But, uh, dude, great stuff all around. John, you won mm -hmm. that episode. You went three for five, I believe, and I went two for five, I think. But, uh, yeah. <clears throat> Ben, man, you, you knocked it out of the park. And 
I already know, not only because you said it, but I can <laughs> sense it, that you have so much more in there willing to give. And so we for sure would love to have you back on oh, yeah. and, and maybe choose a, a more niche topic um, so we can really get you to dive in for us. Oh, you have no idea. <laughs> <laughs> so let's, let's let you uh, quickly plug. You, you've got, where can, where can people follow you? Uh, social media, where can they listen to you? All right. Well, you can follow me on Instagram and Twitter. I'm actually pretty active on both at BenMagnet27. You can listen to my shows, Figner Podcast and Base Barricade Pause Menu on Apple, Stitcher, Google Play, Wherever you can listen to your favorite podcast, you can listen to them. Base Barricade Podcast has its own feed. So if you want to listen to just Base Barricade, um, just look up Base Barricade Podcast. You can find it. But the best part is we have a website. FakeNerdPodcast.com is essentially nice. our central hub forever. It's like the hub of Disneyland. You go there and you can pick which direction <laughs> you want to go. And we have links to so many things on our website as well as our YouTube channel as well. So uh, cool. check out Fake Nerd Podcast on YouTube. Uh, go to fakenerdpodcast.com. If you want anything to do with fake nerds, that's where you go. Well, you've got cool. at least two supporters of Fake Nerd Podcast and all the things that you do, Ben. You've really uh, you've really impressed us mm-hmm. and clearly proven that you're very knowledgeable. So I would highly encourage anybody to go check out the various things Ben Magnet is oh, yeah. working on. Thanks so much again, man. And we'll we'll see all you loggers next week. Yep, see ya. It has been a blast. Thank you. It's the Lack of Genius Podcast in your ear holes at last. They don't know they're Mars and Venus. That's why it's the Lack of Genius Podcast. There once was a ship that put to sea. Name of the ship was the Billiard Tea. Okay, I'll stop.